Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. So on today's show, we're doing an in-house interview again. I think we did one last week as well, but sometimes we, we're just churning out really good work, and so we want to showcase some of that. And so um, today we have someone who's reg- who's regularly on the podcast, um, Hayden Ludwig, who is our senior investigative researcher here, and he works on all kinds of issues, um, looking at the funding um, into some of the groups on both the left and the right. Um, but he has recently written a piece that um, is very timely because we've got some elections coming up. Um, and it also sort of uh, harkens back to what happened in the 2020 election. The piece is sitting on our website um, and it's called Watch Out Virginia, Another Flood of Mail-in Ballot Mailers Headed Your Way. So we're going to ask Caden some questions about mail-in balloting, um, about the Virginia election, probably about the California recall election as well, and what we can expect uh, in future elections as it relates to mail-in balloting, which to Hayden's mind, and we'll discuss this, is here to stay. So Hayden, hey, thanks for coming on. I'm glad to be back on. Yeah, always, always so much fun to have Hayden on. Um, okay, so uh, let's talk about mail-in balloting a little bit. Um, in your article that you wrote for the Capital Research Center website, which um, we will link to, so anybody listening, you'll be able to, to link out and read his piece, which is very good. Hayden's work is always great. Um, you talk about a couple of um, groups that I'm going to ask you about specifically who have essentially um, written a memo uh detailing a plan to send voters in Virginia ahead of uh, the November election, which will determine some pretty heavy duty positions in their state, governor being one of them, um, to send everybody some some mail in ballots. Well, not, maybe not everyone, but two million mail in ballots. So tell me about the groups behind this. Tell me what you think about this. You know, give us your thoughts on this. Yeah, so this memo was uncovered by one of our anonymous sources, and it was facilitated by this Philadelphia-based law firm. And it's a communication between a pair of nonprofits called the Voter Participation Center and its sister group, the Center for Voter Information, that are both based in Washington, D.C., corresponding with uh, basically a network of registrar voters in the state of Virginia. This is just the people who run all of the elections at the uh, the local county and city level. And what it's indicating, you already mentioned, is that these groups, VPI or CVI, they plan to send out 2 million mail-in ballot applications to every Virginia county and city. There's about 130 of those. Um, That's important because this state, I actually live in Virginia, we have an election upcoming on uh, November 2nd for governor where Republican Glenn Youngkin's running against former governor Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat here. And so it's it's interesting because what we're doing is this is the second election in a row in this state that um, that the certain side of the aisle is trying to push a huge flood of mail-in ballots. Virginia doesn't have a huge number of mail-in ballots in particular. So I want to clarify too, these groups, um, they are on the left. These are not these are not non-ideological groups. They are very left-wing. And we'll talk about their background in a minute. But the idea that they're, they're sending out these 2 million mailers is their applications for Virginians to apply for mail-in ballots. That's not something that's done by default in Virginia. You actually have to apply for it. And these groups have a vested interest in increasing the number of mail-in ballots in this state coming up. I believe 
because it enables the left to have an advantage in elections, just as we saw in the 2020 election when many people expected um, President Trump to win re-election, perhaps not in the state of Virginia, but certainly places like Pennsylvania and Georgia, which many people, myself included, observed and thought uh, he, had a, he had a pretty good shot at winning and, and did not. And a lot of us believe that it had to do with problems created by mail-in ballots facilitated by this voter participation center. Okay, so let, let, let's talk about mail-in ballots specifically before we talk about Voter Participation Center, which I know, as you mentioned, these are left-leaning groups. And I think part of the problem there is that they ostensibly are nonpartisan, but it turns out they're actually not. Um, but let's talk about mail-in ballots and how they have affected since 2020 is the most recent election where this was a situation that occurred, you know, en masse. What effect did they have in 2020? How do you think they were used to sort of benefit uh, the, Demo the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden? Well, so I think you have to step back when we talk about problems in the 2020 election and recognize that there was no single problem that changed an outcome in the election. Rather, it was a whole series of things, changes in the 2020 election from the 2016 presidential election that had huge ramifications that even now we're still unpacking and unraveling. So mail-in ballots did not happen in a vacuum is my point. What we saw, my other expertise in this sort of thing is, is studying the Center for Technology and Civic Life, which mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners will know, that was an organization in Chicago that was given $350 million by Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg just in the months prior to the 2020 election uh, in order to basically fund private, excuse me, public elections offices using private money from Mark Zuckerberg. And part of what that private money purchased are these privately run um, drop boxes. These had no official oversight, but they were they were paid for by this private entity, the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And they were stationed in places like Fairfax County, Virginia, which is in Northern Virginia, contains about a quarter of the, the entire state population. I used to live there myself. Uh, or Philadelphia or Atlanta, places with huge number of Democratic votes. The important thing in this whole reason why Dropbox has come back to the mail-in ballot problem is because mail-in ballots are reliant on what? Well, the U.S. Postal Service. And everybody knows that the U.S. Postal Service is probably one of the least reliable institutions of government that we all interact with every day. Mm -hmm. So what we see is this problem. Um, I've actually spoken to people in the Trump administration who are experts on elections and understand mail-in ballots. And they contend with me that if the left had simply used these groups like the Voter Participation Center, which sent out millions of these mail-in ballot absentee ballot applications across all these battleground states, they contend that if all these mail-in ballots had come in using the United States Postal Service, who knows what percentage of those things could have been lost, and that could have exploded in the left's face in, in close-run races like in Arizona, where, where Biden only won by a few thousand votes, not, not a very large margin. So in order to, to sidestep the weaknesses of USPS, these privately funded drop boxes were brought into key Democratic strongholds like Philly so that people would have a more reliable way to ensure that these mail-in ballots or other ballots were, were thrown into these drop boxes and finally made it to the counting centers. Now, I would also point out, though I can't prove it at this stage, we're hoping to work on that, is any number of ballot harvesting techniques, which are 
the rules vary state by state, but they are legal, but highly unethical mm -hmm. in which paid professionals collect or harvest ballots from a neighborhood, right? This, you can see how um, nor, numerous problems arise from this. All these ballot harvesting techniques are actually amplified by having these drop boxes because drop boxes sidestep the official public oversight over things like post office boxes or voting locations. You don't have official government paid people watching these things. I also point out, though, I'm not a lawyer. I know from lawyers that if you put a, a um, fraudulent ballot in one of these drop boxes, although you're committing ballot fraud, you're not committing mail fraud, which you would be committing if you used a postal service bin. So it was a way for, for fraudsters to basically sidestep the traditional mechanisms by which we secure our elections. So the, uh, coming back to the, the bottom line here. We have these problems with a flood of mail-in ballots, unlike this country has ever seen before, in places like Virginia, which aren't used to using huge numbers of mail-in ballots, with support from these privately funded drop boxes paid for by Mark Zuckerberg, all of this being pushed by a slew of professional activists who had an agenda taking advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic last year, and they're trying to do it again in Virginia. Right. So it advantages one candidate over the other, because when you get to the groups that are actually helping facilitate this, as you mentioned, they have their own political agenda. That doesn't mean that it couldn't also happen on the right or in favor of a Republican. Uh, it just so happens that thus far it seems to have worked you know, in the toward the advantage of the Democrat um, in the 2020 election. And because these two groups now that are that are helping facilitate it in Virginia, per your piece, also are on that side of the aisle. It's looking like the same thing is going to happen in Virginia. Is that what you're saying? Well, it is. And look, here's the thing. It's to your point. It's not like all problems with mail in ballots necessarily help the Democratic Party. Of course, that's not necessarily true, mm -hmm. although I believe many on the left believe that that's the case. And that's one of the reasons they support it. More to the point is we know a lot about the funding and the leadership of groups like Voter Participation Center working here in Virginia. I mean, these these groups were founded by Paige Gardner. She's a mm -hmm. professional activist who got her start with Bill Clinton's presidential campaign in 1992. But more importantly, we know that Voter Participation Center is ostensibly doing this nonpartisan voter registration work. But in reality, on their website, they advertise that they're targeting the quote unquote new American majority. Now, what is this new American majority? Well, this is a common term we find in left wing circles. So the Voter Participation Center defines it, they say it's young people people of color and unmarried women. These are demographics that I think anybody knows tend to favor the Democratic Party and overwhelmingly favor Joe Biden in the 2020 election. But we find it also even with the Democracy Alliance. Now, the Democracy Alliance is this collection of it's kind of a who's who of major left wing donors who meet every year to figure out how much money they're going to spend in elections and where they're going to spend it. It's like George Soros is a major part of this. Well, the Democracy Alliance recommends that its members fund groups that help target this new American majority. And of course, they define it in similar ways. Women, minorities, uh, sexual minorities, all of these these um, classic groups of the modern Democratic Party relies on for its voter turnout operations. So calling this 
calling this nonpartisan is just a joke. I want to say this one last thing, too. There's a great book called The Victory Lab, The Secret Science of Winning Campaigns that our, our co-workers go on and on about, particularly our president, Scott Walter. The reason why is this was written by a liberal journalist, journalist named Sasha Eisenberg, and he actually talks about this group, the Voter Participation Center. And I want to quote what he says about it. Even though the group was officially nonpartisan for tax purposes, there was no secret that the goal of all of its efforts was to generate new votes for Democrats. So this is a man who's admitting we know that this fig leaf of nonpartisanship is exactly that. We know that really this is a Democratic get out the vote machine that, by the way, is tax deductible when you make donations to it and is entirely tax free. I don't know anybody who would consider that some great act of charity, but of course it's politics. Right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, mail-in balloting possibly being here to stay. There's been a lot of discussion um, about the fact that the California recall use, is using it to great effect. A lot of people are thinking that's actually going to benefit Gavin Newsom, although I suppose there's an argument that could be made uh, that it might benefit um, Larry Elder or another Republican candidate out there. Um, and I know that some of the federal um, pushes for election, quote, reform, which I think is an interesting word to use uh, to, to describe H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, um, that these efforts might actually enshrine some of uh, some of the sort of techniques that we're talking about into federal law. Um, so you mentioned in your piece uh, about the Virginia mail-in balloting that you think that mail-in balloting, which was for a very long time just sort of reserved for a small number of people, military, etc., who couldn't get to the polls on the day of the election, that it's here to stay as a sort of new way that we're going to be conducting elections. Uh, do you think that California and what's happening in Virginia are bellwethers uh, sort of signifying that? And how do you think any sort of federal legislation might uh, might play into this effort? Well, I think stepping back from the immediate election, there's two big factors that jump to mind when we're thinking about how long we're going to be dealing with this issue of mail-in ballots. The first reality is that COVID is the thing that created the situation for mail-in ballots to explode on the national stage. Before 2020, there were states that ran all mail elections. Uh, Colorado is one of them. Oregon's one of them. They've been doing it for some decades. My point isn't that mail-in ballots can never work anywhere. Of course not. I, I'm not so dogmatic about that. Rather that when you introduce tens of millions, I think it was 155 million people voted last year. When you introduce tens of millions of people who've never used mail-in ballots of any kind to this entirely new system, especially when you introduce state bureaucracies, remember the elections run at the state level, not the federal level, to this new system of mail-in balloting that they've never used on this scale before, you necessarily introduce huge problems. And when you make the whole thing reliant upon the postal service, which routinely delivers you your neighbor's mail, well, then you have some serious problems with even getting these things, let alone counting them. And then, of course, there's all the problems with people not filling them out properly, about potential harvesting issues, a total lack of chain of custody in many cases from when the, the ballot is mailed out to when it's received. So you have all these different problems. COVID created the conditions to push 
the Democratic Party and many on the Republican Party as well into supporting this in the idea that, well, it's going to be a one time thing. I mean, if you go back to the 2008 election in the Democratic primary, Barack Obama was very critical of using mail-in ballots because he didn't believe, his campaign didn't believe that they were particularly trustworthy in the Florida primary where he was running against Hillary Clinton. And that's very well documented that they've criticized it. So this is a very recent phenomenon. So what are we gonna deal with in the future? Are we gonna have mail-in ballots forever? Well, I think, I think it depends on two things. How seriously do we take COVID conditions when it comes to future elections? That's an open question that's beyond my expertise. But I think also very cynically, how seriously does the Democratic Party believe that it'll help it? Um, you know, I think there are many people on the left who believe mail-in ballots help Democrats win elections when the data shows that that's not necessarily true. Um, in California, you have an interesting instance of mail-in ballots and ballot harvesting used by the Republican Party in a, in a few um, congressional elections in 2018 and 2020 in Orange County, where I grew up. And it actually helped the Republican side out tremendously and royally infuriated the Democratic Party. Of course, they were using the same techniques that many California Democrats have been using for decades. But it just goes to show that it's not necessarily so one sided. I believe if many of these activists on the left realize that this isn't a um, this isn't a silver bullet win for them in every election cycle that we see it vanish. The last problem I see is. There is a fundamental problem when you when you're depending on the Postal Service to deliver all of these ballots, because the Postal Service is something that this country could very realistically privatize in the next few decades. Let's not forget that one of the last things that President Trump um, recommended on his way out the door, I believe it was uh, November or December of last year, was a system for privatizing the Postal Service. Now, I don't expect that to happen anytime soon under President Biden or if another Democrat wins in 2024. But the fact is the Postal Service has been it's been privatizing elements of it, passing it off to the private sector because places like FedEx and UPS can simply handle certain aspects of what the Postal Service used to do far better than the government can. We just all know that. So I don't necessarily see USPS continuing to be a huge role in this when we're moving in the direction of more digital, um, less physical mail. It just seems to me that we're taking a leaf out of the early 20th century to use this antiquated system for running our elections. And I just don't see a strong push to do that. Um, and I believe that it's eventually going to peter out on the left. I, I suspect that. But again, I mean, if, if they believe this is going to win, you're going to see these activists who have a vested interest in this continuing to to push these things. Right. And I and I think, you know, since it's so heavily tied to the pandemic um, and I know it feels like there's this this need to make the pandemic restrictions go on almost in, indefinitely. But ultimately, I'm I'm with you. I think they will they will ultimately have to be given up. And it, it, it seems to me that that some of these things that happened as a way to address the pandemic uh, challenges will go along with them. So I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it will peter out. But if it's used to great effect, that's why I mentioned California. That's why I think it's interesting what's going on in Virginia. That's why I wanted to talk to you about this. If it works, they're going to try to hang on to it. That's why I also mentioned the federal legislation. Are they going to try to put something like 
Mail-in balloting is now the law of the land and every state is now, you know, mandated to make it <laughs> uh, legal immediately and ballot harvesting, you know, is the way to go. I mean, is that kind of stuff going to happen? Yeah, no kidding. And I, and I think I, I agree. It hinges a lot on how, how the other side perceives these things. I, I just tend to think people were so embarrassed by the slow certification effort um, in the 2020 election. Right? I, I just I, I can't imagine just from a marketing perspective in a day and age when everybody's used to two day delivery in this country that they're ever going to to be OK with elections that take five to seven days to move their ballots each direction mm-hmm. and then, you know, two weeks plus to certify an election. You know, I mean, what, what are we living in the 1900s now? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous that we seem to be moving back in time, which is why I think probably the left, if you understand the left as a network and understand that there's no thing that makes cheating in politics easier that the left um, opposes, do I get that right? There's nothing that makes cheating easier that the left supports. Let me put it that way. They will always oppose things like real, like voter ID because they believe that it's going to make ginning up support for their side in elections harder. That's Mm -hmm. why they, they oppose these things. If you understand it from that perspective, then they have obviously sold themselves on this idea that mail in ballots will win us elections. But in the future, if if that becomes apparent that, that the Postal Service cannot deliver on it, I mean, let's be honest here. The Postal Service struggles to do its job as it is. It's never going to put running elections as its number one priority. It just won't. Um, but I talked to a guy in the Trump administration, and I love what he said. If you want to screw up voter ID, put the DMV in charge of it. If mm-hmm. you want to screw up voting, put the Postal Service in charge of it. There's these problems that are insurmountable that will have to be dealt with if we continue down this road. And I simply I think that what's going to happen is is professionals on the other side are going to realize this is untenable and they're going to find some other means of getting around public scrutiny from voter ID and things like that. Things that make their jobs of ginning up votes easier, but not necessarily through the mail and ballot route if that proves too difficult to pull off. Okay, fair enough. Um, It's an interesting topic and uh, they're not done with it yet. That's the most uh, sort of, I guess that's what we'll leave you all with, because if you go and read um, Hayden's piece at our website, which again, I will link um, so that you can, you'll see that they are trying to make use of it, at least in Virginia. And and as I've mentioned, um, certainly in California uh, during the recall. Um, So Hayden, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this uh, with us today as always pleasure to have you on yes thank you again yeah so that's our show for this week y'all thanks for listening we encourage you to subscribe on youtube apple podcasts or spotify and if you have already subscribed thank you very much and please leave us a five-star rating we will talk again with you next week 